0: Exodus then in the chapter 33. Exodus in the chapter 33. Picking up a reading once more at the verse 7. Word of God says, And Moses took the tabernacle and pitched it without the camp, afar off from the camp, And called it the tabernacle of the congregation. And it came to pass that every one which sought the Lord went out onto the tabernacle of the congregation, which was without the camp. It came to pass when Moses went out onto the tabernacle that all the people rose up and stood every man at his tent door and looked after Moses until he was gone into the tabernacle came to pass, as Moses entered into the tabernacle, the cloudy pillar descended and stood at the door of the tabernacle, and the Lord talked with Moses. And all the people saw the cloudy pillar stand at the tabernacle door, and all the people rose up and worshipped every man in his tent door. And the Lord spake unto Moses face to face, as a man speaketh unto his friend. And he turned again into the camp, but his servant, Joshua the son of Nun, a young man departed not off the tabernacle. And then back up a couple of chapters to the chapter 29. We will read together from the verse 38 of the chapter 29. Now this is that which thou shalt offer upon the altar two lambs of the first year, day by day continually. The one lamb thou shalt offer in the morning and the other lamb thou shalt offer at even. And with the one lamb a tenth deal of flour mingled with the fourth part of an hen of beaten oil and the fourth part of an hen of wine for a drink offering. And the other lamb thou shalt offer it even, and shalt do thereto according to the meat offering of the morning and according to the drink offering thereof for a sweet savour, an offering made by fire unto the Lord. This shall be a continual burnt offering throughout your generations at the door of the tabernacle of the congregation before the Lord where I will meet you to speak there unto thee. And there I will meet with the children of Israel, and the tabernacle shall be sanctified by my glory. And I will sanctify the tabernacle of the congregation and the altar. I will sanctify also both Aaron and his sons to minister to me in the priest's office, and I will dwell among the children of Israel and will be their God." And they shall know that I am the Lord their God that brought them forth out of the land of Egypt that I may dwell among them. I am the Lord their God. And in our reading there at the verse 46. Now it's been our quest over the last number of Sundays to present to each and every heart from youngest right through to oldest a little of the truth that we see revealed here as God imparts to the children of Israel that which would be required for tabernacle and indeed in coming times, temple worship. Now, as we come to understand this, we see, of course, that this was a desire of God to be there, present amongst his people. But nevertheless, as his presence was there, found amongst them, that presence, that approachable presence, was to be approached only unto according to the requirements that he specifically laid down. And so we've noted already that as Moses constructs this tabernacle, as the commands of God are given, and these commands precede our reading that we have taken in the last number of weeks in chapter 33, for in the chapters which precede it, we see God's clear commands for this tabernacle, this permanent structure, as it were, uh, uh, that would be erected each and every time that they set up camp and found in the midst of their camp, and there in the very midst of that tabernacle was the place where his presence, where his glory would reside. Now, as this was known, we see that as the days passed and as these things were put into place, then the tabernacle itself was constructed according to the commands of God. And that saw, of course, the outer courtyard where any Hebrew or any Jew could come and present an offering unto the Lord. They could pass it, as it were, over to the priest or to the high priest, so that as we have read off here in the verse, or chapter 29, beginning in the verse 38, that a sacrifice such as we find here recorded for us could be made, and then that blood, if required, could be taken within the very curtain of the tabernacle itself. And so, remember, as we come to consider this, we saw that there was an altar of burnt offerings, as one entered into the courtyard. And then beyond that, there was the bronze laver, that place where the priest continually, each and every time that he desired to enter in, would have to wash himself, would be required to wash both his hands and his feet before entering in beyond the curtain of the tabernacle. Now what began with sincere intentions to be a two-week message The Lord has seen fit to take it a different direction. And simply as each and every time we've come to it, both in personal study and indeed here in our worship service, the Lord has worked in my own heart and revealed things to me that I believe are increasingly important to bring to your attention. For this is all to do with having that desire to enter into the very presence of God to know what it is to not just pray, but to abide in that secret place. And I believe that the things that we're reminded of here in the book of Exodus, these laws that were laid down specifically for the children of Israel, provide to us insight as to how we can approach rightly onto the presence of God. Now as we consider once more this altar of sacrifice that we see here, In the outer part of the courtyard where that offering was made, this was a place where gifts and offerings were presented, where the sacrifice was slain if required. And the blood sacrifice, remember, as that animal was taken, as the lamb was slain, as the bullock was offered, as the blood was shed, that blood sacrifice speaks to us and reminds us continually in every age of expiation, the place where atonement was made the place where blood was shed, the place where the divine wrath of God was satisfied, where judgment was poured out, where reconciliation was made. It's a place where offering was made, the place of consecration, the place of dedication in response to the righteous claims of God. And so we see a place of sacrifice, that which was required to enter in, but also a place of dedication where one came and presented that which was rightfully the Lord's. Speaks to us of righteousness. Speaks to us of that which is accomplished by the blood. We do well to bear that in mind as we continue our thoughts. So we come to the labor, the second uh, thing that we see there in the courtyard of the tabernacle. This speaks to us of sanctification. Every time, remember, this priest would enter into the curtain, every time the high priest then on that yearly basis on the day of atonement would not only enter within the curtain of the tabernacle, but would go beyond the veil into the very holy of holies then, every time they were to wash at the laver. Why? Because they were in contact with that which defiled. They washed their hands so that they were ready to work. They washed their feet so that their walk was even that which was sanctified of the Lord. And no true worship, no true service could be engaged in or embarked upon except the priest washed. One thing that we do well to note before we move on from all of this, before we enter in within the curtain is that the altar of sacrifice and the laver were constructed of wood overlaid or coated in brass and copper. Copper is, of course, that base element from which brass or bronze is made. It's brass and bronze find themselves as alloys of copper metal. And so everything, remember, behind the curtain was made of gold. But the two things that are found... On the, in the courtyard, on this side of the curtain, well, they're overlaid with brass, with bronze. This brass, this bronze, this copper, it's one of the most fire-resistant metals that's easily found, That's easily mined, That's easily acquired by man. And the elder sacrifice, remember, was that place where atonement was made, where righteousness was obtained. The laver was a place where sanctification was known, where purity was known, where holiness for worship and service was known. The priest was ready to enter in when sacrifice had been made at the altar. Righteousness. Whenever sanctification had been realized at the laver. Holiness. And these two at all times were prerequisites to anyone entering into the curtain of the tabernacle. And so these two prerequisites to entering in, both speaking of that which no one in and of themselves could do anything to effect, both were transacted at that which was made of wood and copper. The question is, why? Why? my belief that as we study the Word of God and as we compare Scripture with Scripture and as we come to a greater understanding of all the typology that we see in the tabernacle, that the requirement to overlay these things with brass, with copper, was to communicate this idea throughout every generation. That despite the changing scenes of time, despite the changing seasons of our lives, Despite the ups and downs that we all come to, no matter the trial or the test that we face or we know, no matter what the world may say is a requirement to know God's presence or to enter into God's presence, that God himself was communicating that nothing could destroy despite the very intense pressure it may be put under. Nothing could destroy the prerequisite of righteousness and holiness to enter into his presence. Two principles would remain forever unchanged and unchanging. God can ever only be approached unto on the ground of righteousness and the ground of holiness. I don't believe there's anyone who sincerely knows the Lord Jesus Christ as our Lord and Savior would dispute the first. But in my own heart, and my own mind, as I survey all that's ongoing in our world and the changing generation in which we live, and as I look back even at that which is recorded in generations past, I do believe that many have forgone the second. And whilst we would all agree that only true believers can enter into the presence of God and can know what it is to experience the manifest presence of God, even as they seek to approach unto Him in the grounds of prayer, nevertheless, very few are willing to see the direct connection that there is between the righteousness that is imputed to us through faith alone and Christ alone as we come to that knowledge of Him as our Lord and Savior and the personal holy that the Bible calls us all to. I believe that to this very moment, the God who is omnipresent desires for us to know the intimacy of His presence and so His exhortation with promises draw nigh unto God and He will draw nigh unto you. Tell me this morning, are you drawing nigh? Are we drawing nigh? As we gather here together in this place of worship, a place where praise is offered, a place where prayer is made, do we know for sure this very moment that we are in the presence of God? You see, I'm not interested in the answer that we all can give to an academic and theologically correct fact that we are always in God's presence because God is always present. I'm asking today whether our experience of God will be as the Israelites of old who beheld from their tent door. Will it be perhaps a little more deliberate and be more like those who were able to enter into the courtyard of the tabernacle? Or will we be those who know the privilege of being priests of the Most High God and enter into the very tabernacle itself? You see, the tragedy is that many today don't enter in as is their right in this New Testament age. Many today behold from afar off and seem perfectly content to be aware of a God that is present without actually ever entering into His presence. Tell me, when was the last time that you sat in a meeting like this? and knew beyond any doubt that God was here? When was it the case that a holy hush was in this place, and the reality that God was here was something that you experienced, that I experienced, that we all together experienced? Now many might say and point the finger and say, oh, but preacher, that's down to you. You're the man of God here. You're the responsible one for leading us into God's presence. Really? Really? And here was me believing that the days of one man ministry were long gone. But rather, we are a body of believers. And where a body of believers meet, where every believer in that body then is a priest unto God. And collectively, we all have the responsibility and indeed the opportunity to draw nigh into God's presence. Isn't that something we all agree on? And so the success of this meeting is surely then as much to do with the condition of your heart as it is with the content of my message. So rolling out of bed and shelving breakfast down your throat and arriving into church without ever taking time to pray without ever taking time to prepare your heart to receive his word, without coming into his presence yourself, means that week after week, time after time, we come together and we have a good service, but we rarely have a blessed service. We come together and we say that we're worshiping God, but very rarely in this generation is the curtain of the tabernacle even ruffled, never mind drawn aside. And I ask you this morning, how did it ever get like this? You see, I know that I'm speaking to a divided house, as it were, this morning. On the one side, there are those who remember days whenever God's presence was real. When coming to church was a delight, a joy, because God was there. God's blessing was known each and every time that a meeting was held. But on the other side, and I suggest to you that as the days pass, as the months pass, and as the years pass, this is the ever-increasing majority side There are those who only ever hear testimony of such days. They've never known the evidence of God moving in their midst. Yes, I'm primarily speaking of a younger generation. I'm speaking of new believers. But to such a generation, to such a side, if you want to refer to it as that, as I have done I truly believe that the church of Jesus Christ owes each and every one an apology. Because somewhere, somewhere along the line, believers exchange the reality of His presence and the atmosphere of heaven all around for an experience. An experience where, as long as we feel good leaving here this morning, an experience where, as long as we, we feel warm and fuzzy inside, then all is well. But in reality, what we have done is we have exchanged holiness for happiness. As long as everyone is happy, this is our mantra. As long as it feels good is our slogan. As long as people keep coming back, that's our goal. And somewhere, whether consciously or subconsciously, holiness was exchanged for happiness. And experiencing the presence of God corporately or indeed individually Is something we only ever read off in books or hear related from stories of the days gone past. We all, youngest, even right through to the very oldest amongst us, we've all become conditioned to accept a good service over a blessed service. We've all become conditioned to accept an experience of God's presence rather than evidence of God's presence. And this matters why? Because according to all that we learn here, no true worship, no true service for God was ever achievable except on the grounds of both righteousness and holiness. And so before we can ever enter into the tabernacle and get, as it were, even an inch closer to that realization of the divine presence of God amongst us, I ask you this morning, believer, one who agrees wholeheartedly with the truth that God's presence can only ever be approached onto on the grounds of righteousness, and we all say amen because we all agree that to be part of a local New Testament church assembly, to know what it is to testify of the reality of a changed life is only ever accomplishable on the grounds of what Christ has done and of our acceptance of all His finished work as we repent of our sin and put our faith and trust in Him alone. There's no dispute about that. There's no one that would raise a hair or ankle about that. But brethren and sisters, what about the labor? What about the sanctification? What about the holiness that's required? What about the truth that as you've lived your life and the week that has gone past, you too have been in contact with the defiled? What about that in the course of the last seven days as they've passed into God's eternity that we've all heard things, we've all said things, we've all looked at things, we've all done things that bring dishonor to the name of our Lord. We've rubbed shoulders with that which truly does and will defile each and every time. Are we content to simply go through the form again on another Lord's Day? Are we content just simply saying that was another good service? Are we content with what is simply a pale excuse for a devotional life? And our daily activity for God? Are we willing to recognize that the principle that was established in Exodus still remains a principle to take account of and to be aware of today in 2022 that God's desire is that we would be holy as he is holy? And whilst it's good that we are encouraged and should remain encouraged to be a people who are friendly, a people who reach out, a people who live well for the Lord, a people who reflect the glory and the beauty of the Lord and indeed His love for all mankind in everything that we say and do, above everything else, surely our lives should radiate holiness. Surely the difference that should be seen in our lives is the truth that we've been with Christ. That we are those who know what it is to commune with Him face to face as Moses did. As we know what it is to enter into His presence and not just to linger in our own tent door. Not just to be content with mingling around in a church setting. But rather wholeheartedly each and every one going in and availing of all that salvation affords us. The privilege of knowing Him. The privilege of fellowshipping with him. The privilege of dwelling in his presence. Can this not be the day where all that begins once more in this assembly? If it's to be true corporately, then it has to be true individually. There must be a marker drawn in your life where you'll say, I am going to take that time that is required. I'm going to spend that energy that's needed. I'm going to do what the Bible requires me to do so that I am that one who is holy. For some it will be letting go of all that entices so easily enthralls us about this world and the things of time. For others it will be truly overcoming that besetting sin. For others it will be making restitution with a brother or sister here. And truly being willing to let bygones be bygones. For others, it'll be establishing God upon His rightful throne on our hearts and removing all the other idols that we have built, constructed, and found. But today, if we truly would know what it is to enter in, I'm telling you there's no other way but on the grounds of both righteousness and holiness. And you can take it or leave it, you can like it or lump it, you can say, oh, I wish you'd get back to the encouraging things that he used to speak about, but the truth is that getting into the presence of God is the most encouraging truth we ever become, become aware of. Because it remains unchanged where the presence of the Lord is. Oh, there's beauty. There's light. There's blessing. There's fire. There's sin. There's something that the majority of people in this room have never experienced for themselves. Father, we pray that above everything else, that Thou wouldst give us a hunger and a thirst for Thee. Oh, Father, may this be the generation in which the blessing of God is known once again. And where the Word of God prevails in our hearts, because that is where it must prevail first, if we are ever to see it tear down the strongholds in our towns, in our villages, in our own families, in the hearts and lives of those who are dearest to us. Oh, Father, may this be a day whenever we all claim holiness and avail of that right that is ours to enter in and receive even that blessing that Thou dost desire to bestow. We pray, O oh Lord, that thy word will fall upon good grind today. We pray that the Spirit of God would have his own way. And we pray that truly we as thy people would be more conformed to the image of thine own dear son. For it's in his precious name we pray. Amen.